Welcome to episode 74 of Understanding Latin American Politics, the podcast. I'm Greg Weeks. I'm a political scientist with the University of North Carolina at Charlotte. And today it's a co-production with Historias, which is the podcast of the Southeastern Council of Latin American Studies, COLAS, uh, an organization I've been involved with for a long time. And I really recommend uh, Historias if you have not checked it out. It's got a really great lineup of um, people that they've talked to and really of all aspects of, of Latin America. So make sure you go go have a listen, uh, actually both in Spanish and in English. So it's unique in that regard. And uh, today we're talking about The Latin Americanist, which is the, the journal of Socolas that I've edited for, uh, for a number of years. And I'm joined by some historian colleagues of mine who also work on the journal, Jurgen Buchanau uh, from UNC Charlotte, Stephen Hyland from Wingate University, and Greg Kreider from Winthrop University. And Stephen takes the lead here, and we talk about all aspects of the journal and of publishing generally, uh, and just sort of the nuts and bolts of how the whole thing works and how perhaps uh, you, know, you can get involved as well if you want to be an author or a reviewer. Uh, so with that... I uh, hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome to Historias, the podcast from the Southeastern Council of Latin American Studies. I'm Sarah Sissom, Historias' production editor. Today's episode is a joint production with the Understanding Latin American Politics podcast, which is hosted by Greg Weeks. Today's discussion features a situation report of the Latin Americanist, Secolas' flagship international peer-reviewed scholarly journal. As recently as 2006, the journal was self-published and mailed out by the editorial staff. Since then, TLA, as it is called in-house, has seen a significant expansion in reach and readership. Over the past five years, TLA has published 121 research articles. Some back-of-the-envelope math on demographic information about its authors reflects that TLA is in line with the composition of the field of Latin American studies. Of the 121 articles published since 2015, 55 authors were women and 42 were Latin American or of Latin American descent. Authors from across the Americas were published in the Latin Americanist as well. 2020 marks the first anniversary of Secolas' partnership with the University of North Carolina Press, and so the team at Historias and the TLA editors thought it would be a good time to assess where the journal is at and what lies ahead. In this conversation, Stephen spoke with Greg Weeks, editor of The Latin Americanist, and the co-editors of The Annals Issue, Gregory Kreider and Jürgen Buchanau. Gentlemen, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you, hey, Stephen. Hey, Greg Weeks, let me begin with you. Could you tell us about the journal The Latin Americanist and you know the types of articles that the TLA publishes, our acceptance rate? Give, give our listeners uh, a bit of background about the journal itself. So The Latin Americanist has been around a really long time. We're, we're now publishing volume 64. So we've been around for, for quite a while, and we really publish all kinds of articles that relate in any way to Latin America. By, by that, I mean uh, the discipline is open, and we do articles on things like immigration. We do articles in English, Spanish, or Portuguese. And so what we're really trying to do is to have as broad an intellectual enterprise as we really can. 
um, to be as open as we can to really any kind of, of Latin American studies scholarly work. Now, if I remember from a previous conversation, we've even published something on Peruvian ants. Does that ring a bell to you? Literally, we've done stuff on just about everything. And that's why, as editor, it's fascinating. It can be frustrating, too, and just finding, like, knowing how to find reviewers. But we do stuff on everything. So I, I can't tell you how many things I have, how much I've learned, and how many things I didn't even know were being studied. But, man, they are being studied, and people are interested in them. And you've been editor of the TLA for about 15 years now, more or less? Yeah, been a while. And so over that time, if you could let our listeners know, what's the, say, the average acceptance rate for a submission? So our acceptance rate right now is roughly 25%. And that's one thing that actually has gone up over time. I, I can't tell you off the top of my head what it was a decade or uh, or 15 years ago. But over time, the, the quality and quantity of the manuscripts that we're receiving has gone up. And that's, but, but that's about where we are right now. All right. So the quality has gone up, but the diversity has remained. Oh, the diversity, the diversity is really amazing. And the diversity relates not only to, to discipline, but also to authors. So we have all different kinds of people who are submitting to the journal in all different languages and all possible different kinds of topics. Right on. Now, one of the more exciting bits of news about the Latin Americanists is our new relationship with the University of North Carolina Press. Could you talk to us about that relationship? Yeah, so that's something that we've been most excited about and really got going last year. So for quite a while, we had a partnership with Wiley. And with Wiley, uh, the the relationship worked out really well for quite a long time in the sense that we got a much broader readership. So it was much easier to kind of get into indices uh, and to just get into library databases and that kind of thing. But with, with UNC Press, we feel like the fit is just ideal because not only is this an organization, Socolus, that's Southeastern, so University of North Carolina is absolutely perfect geographically. But one thing that we like a lot that we didn't have with Wiley is that we're working with with a press that's really aimed at the at the scholarly part of what we're doing. You know, they they have to make money, but you know, with Wiley, we're talking about a really huge corporation where we and a lot of other people could kind of get lost. And with UNC Press, we feel like we've got this organization that's really dedicated to the work that we're doing and not just kind of seeing us as another cog in the machine. Right on. And we'll circle back because UNC Press actually advocated for our inclusion into Project Muse. But before that, one of the cool things, Greg Kreider, about the Latin Americanists is we have this annual issue called the Annals. Could you tell us about the Annals and why it's unique? Yeah. So the Annals is the issue that Jurgen and I co-edit and publication of papers that have been presented at the annual conference. The annual conference for us is a big deal. And so when scholars from graduate students to junior faculty to senior faculty to emeritus faculty and independent scholars present their work, their research at uh, our conference, they're eligible to submit their papers uh, for publication in the annals. And we proceed through a peer review process. It's a competitive process, so not every paper gets published 
certainly, but we like that following the theme that Greg suggested, we are very broad in terms of the disciplines that are represented in the annals issues. We think it's especially uh, a good opportunity for junior faculty or newly hired faculty, along with graduate students, to get their foot in the water. And for many, it's the first publication in their careers. And they're also widely read. They seem to be widely read. The statistics we get from Project Muse show that uh, they are up there with all the other good articles that we publish in terms of uh, who reads, who clicks, and that sort of thing. I'll mention, too, that it's an opportunity, because I I think uh, this is true for the other issues of the Latin Americanists, but certainly this year's volume of the Annals issue, which just came out today, the 6th of April, we are publishing papers in English, Spanish, and Portuguese. So that gives a broader opportunity, an opportunity for wider engagement across the disciplines. Right on. Thank you, Greg Kreider. Jurgen Buchanau, uh, Greg Weeks mentioned our new partnership with UNC Press, and this relationship has led to our inclusion in Project Muse. For our listeners who are perhaps unfamiliar with Project Muse, could you explain what it is and why it's important for the Latin Americanists to be in that community? So Project Muse is one of several there are large databases of important scholarly articles that social scientists and humanities scholars um, use. Um, others include, for instance, ProQuest. So Project Muse gives us access to a lot of university libraries and a lot of audiences that way. And so um, it's very important in disseminating the article beyond the reach of Pensacola's membership. The Project Muse is also important because um, it actually creates revenue for uh, for our journal. Our journal, of course, costs the Pensacola's um, quite a few funds. I mean, whether it is uh, paying for the copy editing or uh, basically getting a subvention to UNC Press. And in Project Muse, we get rewarded by every download that a Project Muse user will perform on one of our articles. Uh, so one of the things that we would ask all, all of our listeners who like articles from the Latin Americanists is to try to encourage your students and colleagues to actually download the articles. Uh, don't just download them into your course management system, but send the Project News traffic to demonstrate the relevance and importance of uh, the Latin American. Yeah, I can't stress that point enough that Jurgen just made because not only you know from from our perspective it helps the journal which ultimately helps the organization but it is it also helps the university libraries because they have to pay for the subscription to Project Muse which gives them access to the Latin Americanists so that money's already spent if they can't go at the end of the year showing that people are actually using the databases right because you know students are going there and they're clicking then they can lose budgets I mean, we've I don't know if that's the case at UNC Charlotte Greg and Jurgen y'all can talk about that and Greg Kreider at at Winthrop but at Wingate we have seen a systematic diminishing of the library budget because these online resources are not being used to their fullest effect. Yeah, if you're not using it, then they know. If you're not clicking, then they know. And then they're they're going to say that we're not paying for it. Greg, let me stay with you, Greg Weeks. And I'm going to pivot a little bit. You know, as editor of The Latin Americanist, and you mentioned this earlier, one of the big challenges that you have is finding reviewers. So could you talk to us about some best practices for scholars when an editor of a journal, not just the Latin Americanist, but, you know, we'll just use, uh, we'll use the Latin Americanist as the case in point here. When an editor reaches out or contacts someone to review an essay, what are some best practices they should keep in mind? Yeah, so th- this gets into a bit of uh, pet peeves of mine, but I want to start by saying that 
the the journal depends on volunteers. So I appreciate every single reviewer who helps us because this whole enterprise wouldn't work otherwise. But I would ask that people respond when they get a request to review. And the response could be no. The response could be an angry no. The, I, I don't care. Uh, but the <laughs> what we need is to just know that I can't do this right now. And then we can move to find a different reviewer. Because if we don't get that, then we're going to give you some time and then we're going to give you a prompt before we decide that you're simply not going to answer. And then at that point, then we'll, we'll pivot to somebody else. But if a lot of people do this, and unfortunately this does happen a lot, that delays review of the article by weeks, which is really unfair to the author and it's really unnecessary. So I would just, I would beg really everybody for any journal, uh, if you get a response to review, then please just decide within a day or so whether you can do it. And if the answer is no, then please tell the editor no. And as uh, as an addition, if you can, without doing too much work, you know, just sort of thinking about it, if you can provide a name or two to the editor to say, look at, I can't do it right now for any, I've got six reviews right now, or I'm writing a book or many other issues that people are dealing with, just say, hey, why don't you try this other person? And think of it not in terms of the journal itself, but think about it in terms of the author, because you're an author. And when you're sending something to review, you want it done as fast as you can. And then, you know, after a while, you haven't heard anything and you write to the editor and you say, can you give me an update? And the editor says, I'm sorry, we're having a hard time. You know, it's just taking time to get reviewers. I, so I would just ask that, just, just respond. And the answer can be no, that's totally fine. Right. But at the same time, it, because of the interdisciplinary nature of the Latin Americanists, right, you're a political scientist. Yeah. Greg Kreider and Jurgen Buchanau are both historians. You know, if it's a, a colonial lit piece, you know, that sort of guidance about who could be a potential reviewer is absolutely vital. Fair enough. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But when you say uh, interdisciplinary, I would also think of one thing is that people are increasingly trying to cross disciplines. And we even have co-authored pieces by people from different disciplines. And I would ask everybody to keep an open mind about whether you might fit a given article, even though you don't fit it perfectly, because if it's interdisciplinary, maybe nobody fits it perfectly, but they're trying to get at something at a different angle, but that you can provide insight into. Greg Kreider, we've been talking about some best practices for when scholars have been approached to review an essay. Could you talk about best practices especially for graduate students and junior faculty when submitting an article for publication consideration, both for the Latin Americanists as well as, you know, more broadly. Sure. Well, I'll say this. Uh, to get real particular, the submissions to the Annals edition, we would expect them to be revised from perhaps the paper that was presented at the, the conference, right? So that revision could include would include the normal documentation, the footnotes and all of that maybe a longer piece than what was presented at the at the conference, but also one that's, that's been revised so that it's more of an, in an article form and one that responds to the to the feedback that they had at the conference. So that's one thing to be said about that particular issue and submissions there. In general, I think the the comp, the most common comment that we give authors when sending out revise and resubmit is to frame your article to uh, a broader audience. Think about who your audience is and try to uh, make that connection so that you don't have to water down your argument or your evidence or anything like that, but to establish a framework 
that makes the piece more accessible and meaningful to a broader audience. Jurgen might have some other ideas about that too. Yeah, I think it's particularly important because we're an interdisciplinary journal. So obviously most of our pieces get published in disciplinary journals where basically methodologies are fairly broadly shared among the participating authors and the audience. And I think uh, I would say the same thing for the Journal of Latin American Studies and, and other interdisciplinary journals, uh, that you really want to pitch the article very broadly and not too narrowly. To Right, because ultimately, yes, it's important to be published, but it, is it not as important to be read? Jurgen, let me stay with you, but this is, uh, this is a question for the group, right? All three of you are or have been until recently departmental chairs. From this vantage point, why is it important for faculty members to participate on the review side of the, the, the article process? Okay, so I, I'm right now in the blissful situation of being on sabbatical. <laughs> after having been chair for more than 10 years, and I got another two years to go. But I think it's very important to uh, participate in these activities, part of what you would call your professional service. Obviously, we all perform service to our departments and universities by serving in committees and going to department meetings. But I think there's also an element of citizenship in the field that uh, certainly a lot of departments and institutions value. And I really think our field depends on people being able to serve as referees, whether that is for tenure promotion or whether that's on, on manuscripts or books. And so I, so I hope, I really hope that departments of whatever nature and in whatever university or college will recognize the importance of review work uh, at many different levels. And I'll just chime in too. This is Greg Weeks that I'm in the blissful position that now I'm an associate dean, so I hover over the department chairs. But when uh, when I was chair, I could, you could see that you know people who are asked to do a lot of reviews, it shows that your name is prominent and that you're publishing, and so that editors are finding you and and want to know what you think. So when you when you get those things, it's a sign that you know you're really making your scholarly mark. And I think it's something that Greg Weeks, you've touched upon, actually all three of y'all touched upon it a little bit earlier. This is also about being a good citizen. Absolutely it is. Absolutely. And especially when the article, granted, it's double blind review, this, that, and the other, but, you know, especially for junior faculty, like this is important for their career trajectory. Yeah. And let me just add one thing right there, just from having been an editor for, for a good number of years, is that it's common for me to get emails from assistant professors who ask about the status of an article, or they, they, might, they might ask things about the journal because they need to put this in their tenure packet. And and when it comes to the status of an article, that's where it can get frustrating for me because I know that this person doesn't have the luxury of having months for an article to sit around. And so that's when we really start, even if we have reviewers of bugging and like, please get this thing done, you know, because people's careers do hinge on these kinds of decisions. Right on. Let me pivot just a bit, but stay with you, Greg Weeks. Coming back to the Latin Americanist, okay? We've talked about the process. We've talked about the acceptance rate. But, you know, over your arc, and all three of y'all have been involved for uh, or with the Latin Americanist for quite some time, what articles or types of articles have proven particularly popular over this, you know, I guess we can say the recent past or, you know, in your time uh, being involved in the editorial or the, the, yeah, the editorial board of, of the Latin Americanist? 
Uh, well, I'll I'll preface it by saying that you know we even as I talk about what might be popular, um, that has nothing to do with what we'll will accept or be more likely to accept because we really are open to anything. And uh, hopefully, I, this isn't just a bias, but I do see that there's more interest in the social sciences. There's a lot of interest in issues of contemporary political relevance. So you know, if you get things about the drug war, um, Mexican corruption, or things like that, those things tend to be quite popular. And by popular, we're, we're talking about the number of clicks. Yeah, so if we're, we're talking about strictly in, in like bean counting popular, mm-hmm. which for better or for worse is what we have really to beyond. I mean, we've got, you can look up to, let's say, Google citations, and I think those are probably going to correlate with hits. But another thing is uh, Mexican history is, is definitely always uh, a popular topic. Well, that's because the revolution explains everything, right? The revolution, right? The Mexican Revolution does explain everything, uh, as Jurgen knows. He's that'll be his magnum yeah. opus, right? We, we we finish off at some point. He's going to write that article or write that book. It's going to get the most hits ever. I've got it right here. It's got a hundred and forty thousand words in it. <laughs> there you go. There you go. The, 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 the upcoming issue of the Latin American um, has an article on the Mexican Revolution by Sarah Austin. All right, and it's going to be good. It is very good. Right on, right on. Okay, I'm going to start with Greg Kreider, but this is, a, this is a question for the group. So we've talked about what is, you know, according to Bean Counting, right, the, the articles have proven to be particularly popular. What types of articles would you like to see more of in the future, right? If you're looking into the crystal ball of what the Latin Americans will look like two years down the line, five years down the line, what do those articles look like? Greg Kreider, let me start with you. Well, I would say a couple of things. One, we, we do have to count the beans because we have to keep this as a viable enterprise. And so we like articles that have, are broad reaching and have a good readership. But I would say also that articles that might address a particular specialty can be very valuable, even if they don't, uh, by the nature of the topic, get a whole, as many clicks to say something else. They, they might be very important for the particular field. And I guess the other thing I would say is that, and we've all talked about this, is a, a vision that we have for the journal moving forward is to emphasize more opportunities for special issues, issues that can focus on a particular topic, and especially one that's t- either timely or marking a particular moment, a particular anniversary of an event. These special issues typically draw from multiple disciplines. So it's not just, uh, I'll give an example. When we did a special issue 10 years ago, 2010, to mark the 100th anniversary of the Mexican Revolution and 200th anniversary of Mexican independence, that issue included articles from not just from historians, but also from political scientists and literature scholars and art history so that it was multidisciplinary. And that kind of combination of perhaps looking at particular events from different angles, different disciplinary lenses can be very valuable. And we find that some of those special issues can can be very stimulating. I'll let uh, others comment on what perhaps other examples. Yeah, I'm going to let me just piggyback on that because I think that having the ability to do sort of a rapid response, rapid in academic terms is obviously not rapid in 
real world terms. But, it's relative. It's all relative. Yeah. Uh, you know, we did a, a special issue on the Cuban thaw that uh, that I think went well. And, you know, we're talking about pandemics, you know, it's just trying to, to respond to current events, but not in a just, hey, let's talk about the policy, but rather, hey, let's look at this from a broad, even historical view and provide all kinds of different lenses into issues that we're facing now and see how these played out in different ways in, in different eras. And it's also speaking for myself is that I, mean, I love to just be thinking of different ways that we can uh, supplement the the traditional article with, you know, other kinds of um, of you know, we're doing review essays and and other sorts of things that maybe we can get some sort of speedier responses to things, even to you know what's going on in the literature, not just what's going on in the world, and and really then engage people with as timely uh, content as we possibly can, knowing that you know journals. Uh, are not by their nature timely, but now we're one thing we haven't mentioned is that we're a hundred percent online, and so you know there's a lot of stuff that we could we could be doing and and posting that's both rigorous and timely. Jurgen, one final pivot, uh, and again, this is a question for the group. I'm going to start with Jurgen Buchanal, and this is the 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 place, the role, the importance of the Latin Americanists for the organization, the Southeastern Council of Latin American Studies but also the importance of the organization to the journal. Why is that relationship important? So I think it's very important, basically, to give uh, give one a sense of the history. Even before there was LASA, the Latin American Studies Association, there were regional Latin American Studies Associations, and um, either Secolas or the Rocky Mountain Council of Latin American Studies were the first in the long-running argument between the, both organizations. Uh, which started first in the 50s, where there's no argument is that we're the one organization of the regional ones that has had a uh, journal since the very beginning and that has been publishing every year for uh, uh, since then. And I think that uh, the, the journal gives uh, Secolas a particular a place of prominence within these Latin American studies regional organizations. It explains in part why uh, we are larger than many, if not all, of the organizations. On the other hand, the organization is also really important to the journal. It provides revenue to uh, UNC Press. Every Secola's membership occasions a payment to, uh, to UNC Press that makes this relationship happen. And it would be very difficult for the journal to re- generate this kind of revenue without the organization. And I'll say too, I think that there's a lot of of identity, a sense of identity that uh, exists in this relationship because first of all, we have the annals. And so the annals flow organically from the annual meeting. And everybody knows that. And we talk about it all the time about, you know, like, we want you to come with a high quality paper so that you can be considered for a peer reviewed um, journal. And I think that uh, is attractive to people. And I think that it creates a, a sense of expectation that really you don't get. I know there's a there's a lot of other journals that are tied in some way to to an organization, but I, I feel like a lot of times the, those ties are just sort of this faint dotted line. Whereas for us, it's much stronger. And you know, so that connection I feel like is mutually reinforcing because it's something that is is discussed and and becomes something definitely of interest. We have a banquet every year at the conference and 
these things come up. So I just I just feel like it it feeds then it feeds back into the journal because we get a lot of members um, and their students then who are reading the journal, and so it becomes this uh, kind of a virtuous cycle where we're just helping each other. Greg Kreider, bring us home. Yeah, I agree with both Greg and Jurgen about the points they made about the important relationship between the journal and the organization. But I'll also note that the organization has grown, not just in terms of regular attendance and regular membership from year to year, but in in what we produce and how we interact. And this is largely thanks to Stephen's leadership on this in advancing important projects with this podcast and with the the newly um, newly issued e-magazine. These are all ways to uh, promote the journal, the organization, to interact and just find different venues uh, for people to get intellectually engaged with the kind of research that's going on. I'll give one final plug also, and that this is a bit more Socolus than the Latin Americanist, but it probably has to do with it, is that I feel like Socolus, and I, I think a lot of people would agree, is a really engaging and positive place to be especially for younger scholars where you are not going to feel intimidated, where you're going to get good feedback, but it's just a, it's a completely positive vibe. And I think that also helps to promote the journal. Well, gentlemen, thank you very much for your time today. Dr. Gregory Weeks is professor of political science and associate dean at the University of North Carolina at Charlotte. Jurgen Buchanau is professor of history and moonlights when he's not on sabbatical as chair of the Department of History at the University of North Carolina at Charlotte. And Dr. Gregory Kreider is the Ellison Capers Palmer Jr. professor of history at Winthrop University. For Greg, Jurgen, and Greg, I'm Stephen. You've been listening to Historias in collaboration with Understanding Latin American Politics. Thank you and goodbye. Thank you.